really squeeze the pitch and myself, you know, Gordon Hill, Sammy McElroy, Jerry Daly, Lou McCarry, Stuart Pearce and Jimmy Greenough, all little quick players, hunting the ball down, winning it back. It was very important for us to win the ball back. We took the first division, not by storm, but we did really well. We finished third and we got to the cup final against Southampton. Well, I was just going to say, we remember that season very well because we lost to Southampton, of course, in the semi-final in oh, 73. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, clearly, your goal to, goal to game ratio at Tranmere was absolutely excellent, you know, and that's probably why they signed you without even seeing you play. And, and that's just fantastic. Great story, Steve. Um, you know, tell me, how do you deal with the pressure then as a youngster in those games in the second division and then going into the first division? You know, was there any added pressure or, or did you just take it all in your stride? Well, I, there was no pressure. You know, for me, as a student... I trained one day a week with the first team, which was Tuesdays. And if we played on a Tuesday, obviously I never trained. I just turned up the games. And as such, um, I wasn't involved in like, the, the media scene at all. Every day I would go into university. And there was, they did one TV program about me and how unusual it was for a, a full-time student to be playing top-level football. Mm. Um, but apart from that, I had no real interference. And um, again, just to give you how it was in those days, and you can imagine now with social media, I used to train myself on a daily basis, but training myself was just off the cuff. Literally, sometimes I'd go for a 45-minute run on the roads. And I'm thinking, well, I'm fit. As long as I'm fit, I'm all right. So I would go for that. So all my mates at university, I was taking economics. And I was in a department called Comic-Con, Commerce and Economics. Mm. And on a Wednesday, there was the interdepartmental football. So I used to play. When we didn't have a midweek game, I used to play for Comic-Con. <laughs> on a Wednesday afternoon wow. down, down at the university playing field. But I was wise enough to think, well, I can't play out just in case I'm injured in the tackle. So I used to play and go. But because I could read the play, and you've got to remember, these are students who, like the football was an excuse for the drink afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So all the lads are there, and it was one of them, let's get the football over with so we can get to the pub. So I'd play in goal, and that particular season, Comigon got to the final of the Interdepartmental Cup, where I hate to say that we were beaten in the final by geography, 5-1. <laughs> and unfortunately, the Comigon goalkeeper didn't have one of his best games. <laughs> so, but you can imagine that today, you know, with the cameras and the I mean, you know, the telephones. Phones, yeah, I, I, on social media, you know, get yourself down to Liverpool University playing fields, couples playing in goal today. <laughs> and I got away with it. Nobody ever said anything about it. I, luckily, I was never injured. And that was part of my training regimen every week. And, it, and that was when you were at United as well, yeah, was it? I was on cloud nine. I was, I was in... Sixty pounds a week, which yeah. at the time was magnificent for me. Bonuses on top of that. People were giving me free boots. I had free training kits. When I got tired of training or football, 
And again, for 12 games at the end of my second year, we were unbeaten. Mm. So there was no pressure. It's only when you get beat that, you know, as Ollie's found out recently, when you get beat, people start analysing, criticising, blaming. When you're winning, you can do whatever you like as long as you keep on winning. And so that year, we were doing great. The, next, the first year in the first division, we finished third and got to the cup final. Mm. So again, there was never any reason, really. We didn't have a massive, prolonged bad spell. There was never a reason where, you know, people said, oh, you know, you can't have a part-timer playing in the first team. Because a part-timer playing in the first team was part of a first team that were doing great. So no pressure whatsoever. The pressure began, I hate to say, when I went full-time. Because I, I went full-time and I used to think, in my mind, I'm thinking of, I finished my finals and I'm thinking, right, next year I'm going to go full-time. This is going to be the year of couple. Super fit. I'm going to be so fit. I'm going to be, you know, spend hours banging the ball against the wall. And, you know, I'm going to be so much better than I am now. It's going to be like a release. Floodgates opening. And, again, full-time with Tommy, Tommy Doherty uh, was a little bit different, to say the least. Sometimes we would win a game on a Saturday and he would say to us, listen, boys, you've worked really hard. Need a rest. See you Thursday. <laughs> and I go, what? <laughs> Thursday? Yeah, yeah, you've worked hard. And his motto, his thing always was, the most important part of training is rest. And there's rest and rest. <laughs> So I would actually train by myself again on a Tuesday, probably. Um, go into training on Thursday. On Thursday, we would have a five-a-side for like half an hour or until Doc's team won. <laughs> and then that's enough, lads. So Thursday, was it intense training? No, we'd have a five-a-side. And then on a Friday... And I used to live like 40 odd minutes away from Old Trafford, which all the players at that particular time all lived within Manchester, you know, 20 minutes away. For, for me to travel 40 minutes, they thought I was crackers. I'd drive in on a Friday morning thinking, well, you know, we'll do loads of tactical work today. But Doc, after one five-a-side on a Thursday, we'd go in and he'd say, listen, boys, you've done enough this week. Just have a bath and go home. So I stack right now, you think about it. And Liverpool, the best team, mirrored this kind of thing. All the other teams would be training all hours God sends. We'd turn up on a Saturday and we'd be raring to go. It'd be like an explosion, a kind of beer or something. We had so much energy and we did really well. And it, it, it's a contradiction in terms. But for me personally, you know, my mentality is work, 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 work. And Doc was the most important part of the training. But he's rest. probably ahead of his time, if you think about it, because rest is so still, even yeah. now, very important. Obviously, now it's nutrition and fitness and everything else. Yeah. But with that rest, so yeah. he was ahead of his time. Well, to, to a certain extent. But I, I would have to say that, you know, when we played in London or something like that, on a Friday afternoon, we'd get the bus after training. And the first things to go on the bus would be 24 cans of lager and six bottles of red. 77 to 82, you represented yeah. England 42 times and scored seven goals. 
all I've got here is highs and lows. <coughs> oh, blimey. A high would be the first time first I camp, played, yeah. yeah. And um, I would say, like, it was awkward for me because I signed in 74, got my first cap in 77. So whenever there were international breaks, there would usually be me and Alex Stepney left behind. Yeah. All the other players were full internationals. And <clears throat> I thought about it, but it didn't make it a dream as such. You know, I just thought, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If I do my job for Man United, sooner or later, it's going to happen. I got taken on an England tour to South America, which was probably 76 or something like that. It might have been 77. Don Revy. Was the manager mm -hmm. and the, the tour was two weeks i think it was first game was argentina second game brazil third game uruguay and we went to we went with don revy don revy wasn't there for the first game the argentina game it transpired that he was in Saudi Arabia or whatever negotiating his contract for when he was leaving. Yeah. So I go there. I'm grateful to be part of the squad. I train as hard as I can. You know, being my mentality, you know, when there were skips to be moved, I'd try and help because I knew I was probably not going to play. Yeah. And went to, I'm thinking, Great opportunity to see these places. Went to Argentina, uh, watched the game from the stand. Went to Brazil, trained in Maracanã, which for me was a great, oh, real really? buzz. Yeah. And uh, how many people were watching? So there people they watching. Do you remember? <laughs> I think by then the Maracanã had been really slimmed down. I think they had a few issues, safety issues. So it was not the hundred and odd thousand. I think yeah. it was seventy, eighty odd thousand. But I was just in the crowd watching. And then the Uruguay game was like the, you know, the tail end, the, the goodbye game of the tour. Uruguay, obviously, not on the same level as Argentina and Brazil were supposed to be. They were the two big games. The last game of the season. So a couple of days before the game, Don Revy comes up to me, he said, uh, he said, Steve, he said, I've been really impressed with the way you've trained. And, you know, I, I did just try hard, as hard as I could. He said, I've been really impressed by the way you've trained. He said, I'm going to give you your first cap against Uruguay. Yeah. So I said, thanks, boss. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So in those days, you can imagine how difficult it was to phone home. So I... Eventually, got through to my mum and dad. I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. It's manager said he's going to give me first cap. <clears throat> so, brilliant. Proud of your son and all this business. So, the Uruguay game comes. And it's literally the dog end of the tour. There's about 3,000 people in the crowd. To totally meaningless game in many ways. And... You have to remember now, with the benefit of hindsight, Don Revy had already agreed to, okay, go, to yeah. go. And he knew that. Yeah. So I'm subbed to the game. But I know I'm coming up. He's told me. 
Steve, you're coming on. So the game starts off nil-nil, obviously. It's a nil-nil game. They weren't that bothered. We weren't that bothered. Nil-nil written all over it. So half-time comes, nil-nil. Coming on, I'm doing knee bends, touching my toes, doing a little five yard sprint right in front of him, and he's blanking. So I'm thinking, don't know what's going on here. 15 minutes to go, I'm still warming up. 10 minutes to go, he's still blanking me, I'm still warming up. Five minutes to go, I get the message. I think, Steve, you're not coming on. I went and sat down. Nil-nil written all over it. Final whistle goes. I'm sitting there, heartbroken. I've been told you're getting your cap, your first cap for England. So I'm sitting there in the dugout. Everyone had left, and I'm sitting there just looking at the floor. The next minute, tap on my shoulder, Don Revy. Sorry, son, he said the game was too important. It was, you know, critical. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, okay then, Gaffer. And we played Italy in what was a dead rubber in a World Cup qualifier. Mm. And myself, Peter Barnes, and Bob Latchford yeah. all made our debuts in that particular game. Three debuts. And it, it, as I say, it was a dead game because they'd already qualified, but we won the game 2 0. And and that was the, the start of my England career. You know, proud as punch as every time I, I wore the shirt. And, uh, you know, Ron Greenwood, I thought, was a, a lovely man as well as being a just a huge football person. Gentleman. And great people around him. Don Howe, you know, one of the best coaches I've ever worked with. Bill Taylor got us so, you know, another great coach who was Scottish. Um, you know, it was, it was happy days to be involved. You know, slightly uncomfortable because I think it takes you about seven, eight, nine, ten games, squads to to feel as if you're part oh, of yeah. it, the the whole thing. And you know, looking at the scenario now, with Gareth, I think Gareth goes out of his way almost to sort of pre-plan and bring people in yeah. and get them used to the scenario. You know, his people skills exceptional with the way he's done the job. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, just as, as a side issue, I'm sorry, uh, Ian, I'm coming to you next, mate. I know you, when you first get your first England cap, you actually physically get an England cap. Something I never knew, or I, I still don't know, you've got 42 caps. Have you got 42 caps? Uh, no. <laughs> I'll tell you how it works. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm not really one for keeping memorabilia, so I don't, I don't know how many I've got, or to a certain extent, I don't even know where they are. But... Um, like for that World Cup campaign, the, the World Cup I played in was Spain in 82. So in that campaign to qualify for Spain and in Spain itself, uh, I played 12 times for England. Right. So you get 12 countries on one cap. Yes. So when they say you get 42 caps, you haven't got 42 caps. I've got one cap, I think, with 12 countries okay. on it. Oh. 82 World Cup <coughs> in Spain. Is that Robbo's 27-second goal against France? It was. When you see that goal, it was something that we had practised an awful lot oh, of really? training. Oh. It's a lot. My long throw. <laughs> 
throw it to Terry Butcher, who came up late, flick on, yeah. Robbo comes in later still. Yeah. And with his timing, we scored. That, that first game, we played France in the first game of that 82 World Cup. And, you know, again, you're playing against uh, Platini, some yeah. great, great Baptist players, and they were, they were a good team. Yeah. Talking about England, again, you know, we've, we've all put questions on it. Um, best goal you scored in an England shirt? Oh, well, probably my, I think it was my first one. My first time I played, <clears throat> 78, we played uh, against Scotland at Hamden. And again, you know, that is one of the iconic games and well football. Of course. Camden had, had its reputation. And we used to stay at the Marine Hotel at True, right on the golf course, which, you know, as a golf person, on the Friday before the game, we'd have a walk around the course. And I think, oh, this is brilliant. And then we drove to Hamden, and, you know, all the jocks and the kilts, lifting the kilts. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely trying to put you off the game. <laughs> but this was at the time of Ali's army and they were going to the Argentine in the World Cup. This was like a big send-off, you know. So I just was was like, with yeah. Ali's army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he was trappy. And it was one of those. I played the game and we had some real good players, you know, Keegan. But they did as well with Dalgleish, Mwabia, Archie Gemmel. Some real good players. Left back was Willie Donachie. Yeah. It's a player I, I struggled against. And that particular game, I didn't play well. And I'm watching, you know, in, in my own mind, nil-nil, very tight. And I'm thinking, oh, blimey, I'm not playing the best here. Can you still see that in your mind? <clears throat> oh, yeah. yeah. The feeling I had, I knew I wasn't playing well. Yeah. I was working hard, but in possession, not playing well. Willie was a good fullback, yeah. clever, clever, yeah. good pass for the ball. And <clears throat> in those days, it was more sort of confrontational, 1v1s. And I knew he was getting the better of me. And, you know, halfway through the second half, I'm in an old And then uh, Peter Barnes gets the ball. <clears throat> he crosses it. Alan Ruff, under challenge, I think, from Bob Latchford, yeah. comes out, tries to claim me, pushes it out. And if you can picture this, I know I'm not playing well. The ball is bouncing on the half volley about the penalty spot. And again, clear as day in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, no. Call the flag. I could whack this over the top. But I caught it. Sweet as a nut, and it went in, boom, hit the back of the net, and I wheeled off to the corner flag. Emily Hughes had been injured, and I seem to remember him running the full length of the pitch Price the corner flag to embrace. <laughs> so I literally get back, we win the game 1 0. And I'm thinking, I've got away with murder here, scored the winning goal, played rubbish. Thank you. Got away with it. So that was the last game, I think, of that particular season. <clears throat> so that night, I was driving to meet my wife in the Lake District. We were going to stay in the Lake District. So I see her that night, meet her at the hotel. I said, oh, I said, I got away with murder today. I said, I played terrible, but I scored the winning goal. So, you know, 
sneaked it, I sneaked it. On the next morning, I wake up, get the papers, expecting to see, you know, nice things said. <clears throat> On the back page, I seem to remember the, the Sunday Express was a big headline, a quote from Ali McLeod. The goal was scored by the worst player on the pitch. <laughs> and, the ball, and the ball was crossed by the second worst player, <laughs> Peter Barnes. So I'm looking at this and thinking, oh, no, I haven't got to be with it after all. But obviously, we won the game. And they were going to the Argentine. So, sour grapes. Right.